No one could find any fault in his character. Mittabak, talking with great care, not to speak nonsense. Anasuyaka, not envious. Translation, in the beginning, this Brahmana named Ajamila studied all the Vedic literatures. He was a reservoir of good character, good conduct, and good qualities. Firmly established and executing all the Vedic injunctions, he was very mild and gentle, and he kept his mind and senses under control. Furthermore, he was always truthful. He knew how to chant the Vedic mantras. And he was also very pure. Ajamila was very respectful to his spiritual master, the fire god, guests, and the elderly members of his household. Indeed, he was free from false prestige. He was upright, benevolent to all living entities, and well-behaved. He would never speak nonsense or envy anyone. Purport. The order carriers of Yamaraja, the Yamadutas, are explaining the factual position of piety and impiety, and how a living entity is entangled in this material world. Describing the history of Ajamila's life, the Yamadutas relate that in the beginning he was a learned scholar of the Vedic literature. He was well behaved, neat and clean, and very kind to everyone. In fact, he had all good qualities. In other words, he was like a perfect Brahmana. A Brahmana is expected to be perfectly pious, to follow all the regular principles, and to have all good qualities. The symptoms of piety are explained in these verses. Srila Virahagava Acharya comments that Dhritavrata means Dhritam Pratam Sri Sangha Rahityatmaka Brahmacharya Rupa. In other words, Ajamila followed the rules and regulations of celibacy as a perfect brahmachari and was very soft-hearted, truthful, clean and pure. How he fell down in spite of all these qualities and thus came to be threatened with punishment by Yamaraja will be described in the following verses. Om Ajnana Chimadandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Militanyena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar, Shri Vasadi Goa Bhakta Vrinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. No doubt when you heard this list of Ajamila's qualities, you wondered what could go wrong. <laughs> you would think he attained the highest platform in life. Shall we go over the list again? He studied all the Vedic literatures. Reservoir of good character, good conduct, and good qualities. Firmly established in executing all the Vedic injunctions. Very mild, gentle, 
kept his mind and senses under control, always truthful, knew how to chant the Vedic mantras, very pure, very respectful to his spiritual master, the fire god, guests, and the elderly members of his household. Free from false prestige, upright, benevolent to all living entities, and well-behaved. He would never speak nonsense or envy anyone. So what are you thinking? This guy's a saint. <laughs> what could go wrong? Or even, who could be like that today? But yet we read, <clears throat> in the beginning, well, what befell him? <laughs> Who's explaining all these extraordinary qualities? The Yamadu does. Why are they explaining this? Because they're challenged by the Vishnu Dutas. So the Yama Dutas are exp explaining. This is how it was, but then something else happened. The history of Ajamil started out very, what ordinary persons would say is impeccable, flawless. What ordinary persons would say. And then it took a horrendous turn. So what's going on? These are the Yamadutas defending themselves. We know that Ajamila started out from an ordinary point of view, gloriously. But we also know, and we will present the facts, how things took another turn. Now remember, this sixth canto is all about protection of devotees. You'll hear, as we've explained before in previous weeks, you'll hear how Ajamila was protected, how Chitraketu was protected, Vichasar protected, even Indra protected. So all these personalities you might see some fault in. Yet, they were protected because they had some or much degree of bhakti. Now let's cut to the chase here and talk about Ajamila and his being a reservoir of all piety. You see, the problem is that all Ajamila's wonderful qualities are on the material platform. He is the embodiment of piety, Sattva And as you know, although Sattva is the most advantageous position in the material world for making a step to bhakti, it is not bhakti. At the same time, devotees, bhaktas, don't look down on Sattva In fact, we want to make sure we have those qualities of Sattva because they help us maintain our ascent to the transcendental platform. But bhaktas know that the mode of goodness, Sattva is precarious because any position in the material world is wobbly. 
So this was the problem with Ajamil. He was not a bhakta. He was in Brahmana culture, but no focus on Krishna bhakti. So he was not a transcendentalist. He was not aiming to go above the modes of material nature. And as you know from Bhagavad Gita, the modes of nature are always shifting. So it's like sitting in a wobbly chair. <laughs> it's not steady. Any moment you can be toppled. Any moment the chair can collapse according to what the influences are, according to how the modes of material nature are blowing like winds. Your position is very wobbly. So in this way, although we value and celebrate the qualities of the mode of goodness, we know that those qualities are just a ladder that, and that we must step on that ladder and go beyond the modes of material nature. And how do you do that? By engagement in devotional service. The more full your engagement in devotional service is, the more secure is your position in this dangerous material world. So what we should understand about Ajamila, what we should see is that there's danger. And purport after purport, Srila Prabhupada acknowledges that the material world is a dangerous place. It's practically, he says, impossible to overcome all the degradation and agitation in the atmosphere unless you firmly take shelter of following the four rules and chanting Hare Krishna. So as I often explain at initiations, I try to clear up the misunderstanding that following the four rules is transcendental. <laughs> Many people think that, wow, just like when you hear about Ajamila's character, wow, he is really beyond the caliber of any person today. And similarly, <laughs> whether persons are from Australia or India, when they hear about the four rules. Of course, if you're from India, you won't say it. But <laughs> if you're from Australia, you'll just blurt it out. What? <laughs> we think that following the four rules that we vow at the time of initiation makes us transcendental. No, they make you a human being. <laughs> it is the chanting of Hare Krishna that makes you transcendental. And that is what, that's what was missing in Ajamila's life. He had a smattering of bhakti. Sort of like Om Vishnu Namaha. And, and then meanwhile doing all kinds of activities for good karma, punya. He was not situated in devotional service. He was the epitome, the essence of the top level of Vedic culture. But what is the goal of Vedic culture? 
It's not simply the mode of goodness. Although again, we don't want to heap scorn upon the mode of goodness. It's a very healthy way to live, especially when combined with bhakti. But it's not enough to protect you from the ravages of Kali Yuga. And this is Prabhupada's point throughout this lengthy history of Ajamila. It is very difficult to withstand the provocation of the material energy. Maybe you won't fall to gross degradation like Ajamila did, but there's also so much pressure on materialistic gain, materialistic affluence, material respect, so much so that while endeavoring for those things, careerism, you lose your focus on what is the ultimate goal in life. Human beings are creatures of social comparison. They're always looking around to see what others are doing, what others have. And so, Consciously or unconsciously, you become affected by the various happenings in material nature, in society, even amongst congregation of devotees, their various achievements that you're supposed to have. So when you come to the mandir on Sunday, you can <laughs> hold your head up. <laughs> I noticed in my travels to various temples around the world, there are different markers, there are different status symbols at various temples. At one big manor in one country in, in Europe. <laughs> if you want to, it, it seems like, if you want to be known as a truly upstanding congregational member, you drive into the huge car park in a Mercedes and then <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> this is respectability. Other places have different markers. I think in a place known as Mahaprabhu Mandir, <laughs> there are many Mahaprabhu Mandirs in the world. <laughs> it's all about investment property. <laughs> Do you have an investment property? I noticed the, in, that, in that particular Monday, and we won't say where it is, <laughs> everyone drives non-flashy cars, just medium level cars, but investment property. <laughs> that is the symptom of the, the champions. <laughs> Those are really making it. <laughs> so, Whatever the pressure is, society gives it uh, material influences. And so it's very difficult to withstand that. What to speak of the gross degradation, which is everywhere. I made the mistake, what day was it? Friday, when it was up to what? Going past 30 degrees. I went for a walk in my usual place on the, on the path by the beach. I won't do that again on a hot day. 
I said, Where, why doesn't anyone wear any clothes? <laughs> so, uh, I, I usually, you know where the pier is that goes out into the water? So I usually walk out to the end of the pier, come back, and then continue on the side of the ocean. So, there are fishermen on the pier, you know, and there's, you know, you know, very uh, rough-looking persons fishing, and uh, and the public is walking back and forth, and so there I was chanting, listening to lectures, and all of a sudden, this young lady comes out of the water, comes onto the pier, wearing what we would charitably call a two-piece swimsuit, <laughs> and just lays down on the pier. <laughs> <laughs> and puts a towel over her eyes to protect her from the sun and just lay... <laughs> like, as if she's in private, you know? She's on a public walkway, you know? And she wants the sun. She wants... <laughs> and, she, and she's got the towel over her eyes and she's sprawled out on the, on the, on the pier. Any... I, I was thinking, any ruffian, any... miscreant could come and harass her, she wouldn't be able to see. Her eyes are covered with a towel, protect her from the sun, and she, there she is with her so-called two-piece swimsuit. I won't go into details, but <laughs> <laughs> laying down on the, on the pier like this. Just <laughs> so Prabhupada sympathizes with the situation. What Ajamil saw that caused, that triggered his fall down was light stuff compared to what we see today. It was like kid stuff. <laughs> Primary school stuff. <laughs> what we see today is so provocative. So I, I felt the sympathy of Srila Prabhupada at the same time while he's pointing out the extraordinary dangers which seem impossible to overcome. He's also pointing out the power of the Hare Krishna mantra. And he plainly says again and again, unless you know how to take shelter of the Hare Krishna mantra and the four rules, you can't withstand the pressure. Ajamil did not withstand the pressure even though he has such a background that makes us think he's a transcendental saint. But what Ajamila is showing you is the weakness of just relying on dharma in the ordinary sense and jnana. He had not taken shelter of bhakti, but because he had a smattering of Vishnu Narayana worship thrown into his motor goodness or punya activities, that's what helped him at the time of death. Just a smattering. He's not a bhakta, but just a smattering of bhakti motivated him to name his son Narayana. And at the time of death, he's calling out to his son Narayana, not thinking of the Supreme Personality Godhead but because it's the critical moment of the time of death, he said Narayana, 
and he happened to chant without offense. He was not chanting to avoid or to counteract sinful activities he's doing. He's just calling his son. So somehow or other, he managed to chant without offense at the time of death, and therefore the Vishnu Dutas came. So you shouldn't take advantage of this history of Ajamila. Well, uh, I'm, there's no way I'm going to do anything degraded like he did, but at the same time, why can't I devote my life to careerism, money-making, property investments, and the works, and then at the last moment, my last breath, because I've named my son Govinda. <laughs> at the last moment, I call out to my son, Govinda, and then the Vishnu Dutas come. And so I get everything. I get the money, <laughs> I get the social prestige, I get the wealth, and then I get the Vishnu Dutas at the time of death also. That's it. That's the way to go. <laughs> Don't gamble like that. Don't take your chances like that. Hmm. And besides, the life of a bhakta is so far superior to the life of someone immersed in the material energy. Why should you want to wait? Why put off your bhakti life when it is the superior life? Just think about what happens to food when it's offered to Krishna, whether in the temple or in your home. The taste cannot be described. This is the luxury of bhakti. Now look at what happened to Ajamila. He threw away his pious life. And he threw away his pious wife, selected by his father in the normal Vedic process. She was beautiful. She was uh, a suitable match for a paka brahmana. But Ajamil tossed her away. He moved the prostitute in with him and started eating her cooking. So you see, he's trading one taste for another. He's trading the taste of mode of goodness, pious life, not transcendental, but mode of goodness, pious life, for mode of passion and ignorance. And what would he do? He would commit crimes to supply money for pleasing his living. We'll, use, we'll call the, the lady a living, just to highlight the point of what's going on these days. I remember when I, don't mind my saying, please, I beg your forgiveness. But when I first came, when I first started doing retreats among young students, professionals who had come to Australia from India, maybe 20 years ago I started. It was so rare to find young men and women not married living together. Now you know better than I what's going on, right? The excuse is always given, save rent money. <laughs> and that sounds good to the parents back in India. Oh, this one has her room, and that one has his room, and other persons are there. It's all about saving rent money. And of course, the parents, oh yes, saving the rent money. 
but there's much more going on. So, from the Vedic standard, this is abominable. So, let's put Ajamil's degradation in contemporary perspective. We're really thinking bad of Ajamila when we hear about his character, right? Oh, how disgusting. But when it comes to what's going on today, well, saving the rent money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how people live in the West. You know, when you go to Australia, you have to do as the Australians do. <laughs> we have excuses, but actually, the situations today are more abominable than what a Jamila was doing. So we spoke about the Yamadutas' reason for presenting this history. They want to, they're presenting their case to the Vishnu Dutas. Why are you breaking up our endeavor? Why are you stopping us? Look, here is his, here is his life story. He started off great but not great enough. You may recall last time we discussed when the Vishnu Dutas challenged. You say, you Yama Dutas say that you're representing Yamaraja and that you're supposed to drag away to the court of Yamaraja persons who are sinful. Tell us, what is the criterion? How do you judge who is sinful and who is pious? How do you know whom to drag away and whom not to? So what did the Yamadutas explain? Of course they said that we drag away sinful persons, but besides that, they spoke a very interesting point, which you should always remember. They said, if you're in the material world, sooner or later you're going to see us. <laughs> because you cannot just exist in the material world without slipping up in terms of your pious activities, your yajyas, your uh, charity, all the things that Ajamila was doing, still he slipped up. So this is why the Yama Dutta said to the Vishnu Dutas, actually, it's true that we just deal with sinful persons, but because of the way the material world constructed because of the way that the modes of material nature are acting, sooner or later we see everyone. Because <laughs> sooner or later, everyone will slip. Maybe not in this lifetime, but in future lifetimes. And when you trip up, the Yamadutas assure you, we'll be there for you. <laughs> so we have to understand how this world is rigged and learn how to take more shelter of Krishna. Ordinary dharma, punya dharma is not enough. The position is not secure, especially in this day and age. Jnana is not enough. Ajamila had studied the Vedic literatures. He had knowledge, but not knowledge of bhakti. He had a smattering of bhakti sprinkled on top of knowledge of what is pious, what is impious. He understood we're not the body, that's gan. You see, we just don't understand. We, we don't simply 
rest on our understanding that we're different from the body. If you're different from the body, if you're spirit soul, then you engage in devotional service. You just don't go around saying, Ahambramashmi, Ahambramashmi. I am spirit, I am spirit. Well, what, is, what, does, what does the spirit soul do? Tivrena bhakti yogena. The spirit soul engages in devotional service like with the intensity of a ray of sunlight. When Ajamil was attacked by the vision of what he saw, what he saw is nothing compared to what you'll see on the beach today. <laughs> Yet, he, he fought back. He didn't just go down easy. He tried to remember the Shastric injunctions, never see a woman, never see a woman, never see a woman. But his heart had its dormant, lusty desires awakened, and then his mind went out of control. The heart wasn't purified due to lack of engagement in devotional service, even though he was at the pinnacle of pious life, material piety. He was at the highest position in the material world, which is a paka brahmana, but that's not good enough to, take, to protect you. And it's certainly not good enough today. Of course, these days it's rare to find a paka brahmana, but even that is not enough. So have sympathy for our from for our Ajamila. He tried. He tried thinking the Shastra says I shouldn't think of this. The Shastra says I shouldn't think of this. But that jnana was not enough. And he couldn't get the vision of what he saw out of his mind. He couldn't get that young lady out of his mind. So eventually he sought her out and moved her into his home and drove away his highly qualified, beautiful Brahmani wife. In his heart, the material desires that were dormant awakened. Chanting Hare Krishna, engaging in devotional service, cleanses the heart. Just like regarding all the social problems of today, environmental problems, economic problems, there's no solution because you're dealing with dirty hearts. There's no process for cleansing the heart. And so therefore, there can't be any peace. Peace comes when there's a purified heart. We think peace means when there's no military conflict, we call that peace. <laughs> Bhagavatam has a different standard of peace. Peace is when the heart is purified. So externally, Ajahn was very peaceful. You heard the list of his qualities. Externally, he was that. But there was nothing to get to the depths of the heart, nothing to purify the depths of the heart. The example given by Pritchett Maharaj in the beginning of 
Sixth canto is Elephant Bad. Ajahn Mila was like an elephant who bathed very thoroughly in the river, only to get on the bank of the river and roll in the dust. How did he roll in the dust? Just by being in the material world. So again, we don't want to heap scorn upon mode of goodness living. A devotee should have a mode of goodness lifestyle as a setting for the jewel of bhakti. Without the jewel of bhakti, what's the use in everything else? So therefore that famous verse in the fifth canto says what? Yes, yasti bhaktir, who knows? Bhagavati yakinchana, sarvayagunaishtatra, samasatesura. Someone may have all the qualities even of the devatas, but without bhakti, what is the value? You say, well, how can that be? When looked at from the viewpoint of eternity, just by having a flash lifetime of good qualities, it's just a drop in the bucket. Because you'll be harassed and dragged by the modes of material nature. If not in this life, then in the next life. So with that verse in the fifth canon, was looking at the whole spectrum, the whole panorama, and saying, without Krishna Bhakti, what's the use? Manoritain Asati You're just on the mental platform. This is good, this is bad. You don't have a secure footing on the transcendental platform, so you'll be rocked. Your boat will be tossed and you'll be rocked. And eventually you'll be capsized. So you see that in the example of Ajami. He tried with his background, his Vedic background. He tried to fight it when he saw it. No, 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 no. But the heart was saying, yes, yes, yes. And so, because of the desires in the heart, his mind went out of control. And he ruined his life. So this is what the Yamadutas are explaining in defense of their ripping the subtle body out of the gross body of a Ajamiyama. This is what the Vishnu Dudas are stopping. And the Yamadudas are astonished. There's no doubt what this offender has done. So we're in the midst of the Yamadudas relaying the downfall of Ajamila. Ajamila was overpowered by the material energy. All right, any questions? And the Dhamila was chanting the mantra, but at the same time, most of the time he was focusing. The Dhamila was chanting the mantras, but at the same time, rest of the time, apart from chanting the mantra, he was focusing on the pious You see, the way the Vedic system is, that even if you're worshipping the devatas, there's a bit of Vishnu puja thrown in. <laughs> like a side dish. So yes, he was doing a little bit 
for Narayana. <laughs> he named his son Narayana. But he wasn't a bhakta. He was karmakanda, the path of piety. So this history should be a wake-up call for us that where is our stability without bhakti? We may be nice persons. Ajamila was certainly a nice person, yes? But as the Yamadutas are saying, not good enough to withstand the havoc caused by the modes of material nature. And again, as we were speaking, what Ajamil saw is so, it's light stuff, as they say, compared to what a teenager will see now. I always tell parents of devotees who are teenagers, have sympathy for your children. You have no idea what they're bombarded with as compared to when you were growing up. You have no idea. <laughs> it's slaughter. And that's only what you see is affecting them. You don't see all the things they see that are on their screens. Not much you can do about that. Unless you're a very proactive parent and those kind generally aren't so popular. <laughs> I remember when I was little, my mother would restrict us, the children, from watching certain TV shows if they showed persons who weren't successful. <laughs> nope, you're not watching that. <laughs> so the other children in the neighborhood would make fun of us. Ah, your mother doesn't let you watch this and that. Ah, ha, ha. She's so strict. <laughs> but my mother always said, Watch and see how they turn out and how you turn out. <laughs> so materially, besides her Christian focus, materially she was always very strict like that. She would get her brothers, my uncles, to give, lecture us we want to know who your friends are. <laughs> we want to know their background. What is your academic achievement? I remember when I was 15 or so, my oldest uncle said, you're a teenager now, 15. You're probably interested in girls, but let me tell you, this family believes in good genes. <laughs> we want to know <laughs> what the educational achievement is of anyone you're associating with, particularly any young lady. But that kind of parenting was looked down upon even back in the 60s. The neighbors would laugh, oh, your mother's so strict. <laughs> But my mother always said, we'll see who has the last laugh. So then when my mother's children all got big fancy educational scholarships, 
the neighbors were all, they, they were all coming to her for advice. But it was too late. Their children had grown up and they weren't very materially successful at all, to put it lightly. But they, they had lots of parties. <laughs> they had lots of fun. But when they graduated from high school, their future wasn't so glorious. So they would come to my mother and when it was too late, when the children were graduating from high school with low grades and not much opportunity. And my mother would say, oh, you want some advice? Um, I have a connection for someone who runs a truck driving school. <laughs> I can recommend your child for that school. It was too late for the parents of such, permiss such permissive parents of children. So have sympathy on your teenage children of today. That's my point. They're being bombarded at every moment. Social pressure is so great. Maybe your social pressure is just to be able to say you have some property investments or drive a Mercedes. The pressure that's affecting your children as teenagers is the worst degradation you can imagine. So therefore, the family needs, for its success and its survival, needs a strong bhakti program. And what you're seeing with Ajambila is that even though he had no bhakti background to speak of, because it was a smattering, because it was a little bit of bhakti sprinkled on top of the karmakanda. At the time of death, some good fortune came back to him. So what to speak of, if you make your whole life bhakti saturated, who can calculate your fortune? In this life and the next. Any other questions? Yes? Usually we have very strong instincts to do something. So, but here, here we see Ajamila was carried away by his desire in the heart, and his mind was not under control. Usually, people say, "You listen to your heart, not your mind." So, what do devotees do? Do they do or neither? Listen to your heart takes skill because there in the heart. Ishwara sava bhutanam arjuna In the heart is paramatma super soul. So that's what you should be listening to. But when they say listen to your heart, they're just meaning listen to whatever desires you think are important. As I often explain at outreach programs, the way things work these days, and you'll see it more and more with your teenagers, is that if you want something, it's a need. You need it. It's a necessity because you want it. So you think you're listening to your heart, but actually you're just listening to the dictates of the illusory energy. 
The goal of bhakti is to become purified so that we can indeed take guidance from the super soul in the heart. Tesham sutata yuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam dadami buddhi yogantam yenamam upayantite. Krishna says, for those who are constantly devoted with priti, with affection, I speak to them, I direct them, I give them customized instructions how to attain me. But Krishna speaking in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna has come as his representative. So there's so many voices you should be listening to instead of pretending that I'm hearing what my heart says. <laughs> Krishna is in everyone's heart, but can we hear that? Just like parents know what it's like to have a children, to have children who don't listen. You're saying something, but they don't hear, right? Are you guys like that? <laughs> huh? Are you like that? When your parent says something, you just, you don't hear it? No one wants to admit it. <laughs> and the parents become so exasperated, right? I'm saying this, I'm saying this, I'm saying this. He won't listen, he won't listen. <laughs> so we're like that with the super soul. But then, to cover our fallen nature, we say, but I'm just listening, I'm following, I'm listening to my heart, I'm following my heart. The true and real listening to the heart means to hear the super soul. But you say, well, we can't do that, we're not that pure, so I guess we just have to do things our way. No, you can hear the super soul speak in Bhagavad Gita. And this spiritual master is the external representative of the super soul. So you've got no excuse. Anything else? Yeah? Right. I know you said you need to sympathize with your, with your children. But how do we sympathize and yet not lose them? He says, uh, uh, I said about sympathize with your teenage children, but how do you sympathize with them without losing them? You have to have guidelines and rules and discharge your responsibility. When I was growing up, my mother just said, these are the rules. If you want to be in this house, this is what you do. <laughs> Later, your children will be thankful. But you have, you, if you want to have children, you've got to expect a bit of teenage rebellion. Generally. Of course, I know it. All the children here will not rebel. <laughs> but there'll be a few. <laughs> so that's part of parenting. It's part of the austerity. It's the same with having disciples. You know some of them are going to rebel, some of them are going to slip, but just like in family life, the show must go on, there must be children. Similarly, in this kind, there must be disciples. <laughs> but you, just like the parent can only do his or her best, 
Similarly, the guru can only do the best. That's all you can do. You can't live someone's life for them. Of course, we don't expect anyone to have such problematic children that they go to prison. But there's a saying that the prisons are full of young persons or who became young adults who are angry at their parents. Why didn't one of my parents stop me from ruining my life? They're, they hate their parent because the parent didn't take a strong stand. If you would have taken a strong stand, I wouldn't be in prison now. So I, I understand the dilemma, the paradox of being a parent. It's almost the same as being a spiritual parent. You're damned if you do, and damned if you don't. <laughs> but remember, you decided to be a parent. For whatever reason to bring into the world a great soul who would benefit the whole planet. Similarly, spiritual masters hope that one, at least a few of the disciples will actively benefit the whole world. So you just have to do your duty. So my mother did her duty as far as she could see in terms of what is best. In this house, these will be the rules. I don't care what goes on across the street. <laughs> you don't like it? Go live somewhere else. Of course, in the USA, there's no social welfare. So <laughs> go live somewhere else means <laughs> out on the street. Whereas in Australia, you have social welfare. So she was firm. And now, all her children, they're so grateful to her. They practically worship her because of that. They're all highly successful. Their families are together. Of course, they don't understand what I'm doing. They can't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> when will you come back to Jesus? <laughs> They don't understand that the bhakta is the best Christian. We follow Jesus' instructions very strictly. But they say, there's only one name under heaven by which God is known. And we know that the Supreme Personality God is unlimited. He has unlimited names. His activities are unlimited. Anything else? Yes. We see that uh, you know, Ajahn is into a difficult situation, and then after that he was focused on his bhakti. Uh, we might, personally speaking, we might go through some difficult situation and we might be focused on our chanting and intensity might be there, but when the difficult situation goes away, we forget you know, that intensity and focus. So how to keep that focus and intensity? Yes, how to keep that intensity so we're not subject to forgetfulness. Daily reading is important. Just like I was reading 
for the umpteenth time the history of Ajabi land. It was so invigorating, so fortifying, so protective. But every day you have to fortify your spiritual intelligence. The tendency is, well, last week I read it. <laughs> the barrage, the waves, the tsunami of Maya are so intense these days that you have to daily keep yourself sharp. You can't, there's no rest, there's no resting place, there's no security in the material energy these days. Every day is an, another attack is launched. Just like everyone's wondering, when will the COVID wave stop? This variant, that variant, every day, and another one, another wave. Seems like it goes away, it comes back again. That's the way Maya is. So just like we're getting frustrated with COVID waves, we should be more than frustrated with Maya waves. Anything else? Yes? Yes. So, uh, so I mean, but it's not bhakti. Yeah, but I from is it necessary that one has to be more of goodness to do the bhakti, or one can be any other more as the bhakti? You can rise up from any position. Bhakti is not dependent on anything material. At the same time, as Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. Only those who have made a complete stop to sinful activity and who have a lifestyle of piety, only those can effectively engage in devotional service. So that's why in Bhakti we stress a mode of goodness lifestyle but not a mode of goodness lifestyle alone. The main meal is devotional service. Because what's the use if you live a pious life like Ajahnila, but there was no focus on devotional service? He's mowed down, he's overpowered so easily. So the Yamadutas are saying, maybe that won't happen to you in this lifetime. But in future lifetimes, without bhakti, we'll be there for you. What do you think? <laughs> so, so we need to be in more of goodness to do the bhakti. I mean, more of goodness is necessary for the bhakti, is it? Bhakti includes activities of cleanliness, purity, all the things you, that we read in the verse today. Bhakti includes all that. The focus is on chanting Hare Krishna and engaging in Krishna's service. That will elevate you. You can speed up the elevation that the Hare Krishna mantra brings about. You can speed it up by yourself voluntarily adjusting your lifestyle to motor goodness. Okay? You want to do that? Very good. Anything else? Yeah? Hare 
if we take a snapshot of this verse, of what a Jamila's qualities are, mm -hmm. and we take a snapshot of our life, regular devotee's life, um, I feel that this snapshot is superior. He has, he has qualities that these qualities are not there. And many of normal people and devotees. But still, are we, better, are we to understand that we are better situated because we are devotees? Yes, you have the greatest opportunity, and gradually, if you stick to the bhakti path, you'll see. You have the potential, which may be dormant now, but if you stick to it, you have the potential to go beyond the modes of material nature. Whereas Ajahn didn't have that opportunity. So he was like a shooting star. Whereas you have the opportunity to become a permanent luminary in the sky. So yes, we we admire Ajamila's mode of goodness qualities. We don't scorn that. At the same time, it's not enough. The material energy is so deadly, it's not enough. So yes, we need to sort out our life and build a proper foundation of mode of goodness living as the setting for the jewel of chanting Hare Krishna and devotional service. And without that jewel, what's the point? As the Shastra says, you can execute Varnasham Dharma perfectly. And the Brahmana is the highest level in the material world. In Varnasham Dharma, the Brahmana is the top level. But if, the Shastra says, you haven't developed a taste for hearing and chanting about Krishna, Shama Evi Kevalam, it's all a waste of time. So you've got to see what is the jewel and what is the setting that the jewel rests on. Bhakti is independent, but you'll have an easier time performing bhakti if your lifestyle is sorted out. So you combine Ajamil's lifestyle with the bhakti focus, that's the best thing. And that's what Ajamila will do at the end, after he gets his reprieve. So um, in that case, why does the Lord favor because he has that masculine of Krishna is independent. This why did Krishna do this? Why did Krishna do that? Just like a mother who has children. Sometimes she chastises the child, sometimes, oh, it's all right. <laughs> it's up to the mother. The Krishna's a person. And then look at it from Ajamila's side. Look what he did. At the time of death, the most critical moment, he called out Narayan. And when he did it, he managed to chant without offense. Now, are you hoping for such a stroke of, rare stroke of good fortune? You get more if you are indeed living a Krishna-focused life. You have a much greater opportunity than Ajamila. Ajamila is just demonstrating how even a little bit done at the right time brings such a result. So what to speak of you?
That's how you should take it. You shouldn't gamble. Like, I know you won't do that. You shouldn't think, well, right now I'll dedicate myself to careerism, getting the bigger house, getting more prestige, and then when I'm very old, I'll start my bhakti again. That's a gamble. Because your accumulated karma, the influences of the modes of nature, will snowball. And at the time of death, that's what you'll be thinking about. How many of you would live your whole life based on the hope that you'll win the lottery? <laughs> People do win the lottery, yes. We don't play the lottery, we don't gamble. But those who play the lottery, there are some winners. But what are your chances? And as I've pointed out before about lotteries, statistics have shown, as psychologists have calculated, you may win the lottery for $400 million in the U.S. But after 17 months later, your happiness level drops down to the way it was before you won the lottery. Even though now you have 400 million. Maybe after taxes, 250 million. But still. First you're flying. Oh, I've got it made. My life is wonderful. I've got 250 million dollars after taxes. That lasts for 17 months. And the common complaint by, by these lottery winners with huge amounts of money is what? Who can guess? Nishta, can you guess? Too much money? Too much money, no. <laughs> huh? They don't know what to do with it, no. Yeah. No. 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 Sri Shakti. Exactly. That causes some of them, these lottery winners, to commit suicide. I can't tell who my real friends are anymore. They say, if once a week, some so-called long-lost relative turns up at my door. Uh, you don't know me, but I'm your fourth cousin. <laughs> Even their most, their most, their closest associates, spouse, their, their friends, they can't tell if the relationship's for real. <laughs> They can't tell what's genuine. People are so money-driven. It's just like what I, what, one devotee couple in Sydney was, I asked them, well, how did you meet? How did you come? Was it arranged marriage by your parents? I mean, you know, you're from India. I assume that the marriage was arranged. You're both very nice devotees now. No, um, they were working at the same bank and then he took an interest in her, but she turned him down. She wouldn't meet him for coffee because she's thinking, I know these guys. He, 
He knows I have PR. He just wants to marry me to get the PR. <laughs> so she refused. Nope, no date, no coffee meeting. But then she did some research and found out he already had PR. <laughs> okay, we meet for coffee. <laughs> but she was so afraid of the, you know, a person's marrying someone just to get the PR. So when you're materially successful, you have all these anxieties. Whether you won the lottery for $250 million or you have the PR, you're worried. I've heard from quite a few young men that in our congregation, I don't know about marriage, you know, I've got PR and someone could just be marrying me for that. Got to be careful. So when you have something, you're in anxiety. So even you win the lottery and you have $250 million after taxes, you don't know who your real friends are. You don't even know if your own spouse really likes you. In the USA, there's an expression, marry the money, love comes later. <laughs> I guess here we would say, marry the PR, love comes later. <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> Didn't you ask one? Yes, Just in regard to the same question. Um, uh, that the Dhamma was chanting the mantras, and uh, but at the same time he was focusing on the pious activities. Yesterday I was listening to your lecture, and you were mentioning that one of the main reason that the body fades away, that uh, because we we are trying to cope with the smoke, not with the fire, and that means to attain the material attack, to maintain the material attachments while chanting. So we are also chanting, but at the same time the mind still focus on the material aspect of it. So what is the hope that we will not fade away? We, the hope that will not fade away, even though we may be harassed by the material energy while chanting Hare Krishna, the hope is that we keep chanting with determination. Gradually the chanting will win out. But if you give up, then what kind of, what, what hope do you have? Ajahnila gave up. First of all, he wasn't a, a bhakta. He wasn't a bhakti yogi. But whatever little he had in terms of piety, he gave up. He had no transcendental grip. So whatever we do, don't stop chanting Hare Krishna. So that's Prabhupada's emphasis in his purport. Stick to the bhakti lifestyle, stick to the rules, stick to the chanting of Hare Krishna. Otherwise, and he had, he's pra Prabhupada's practical, he's pragmatic. Otherwise, it's ferocious, the material nature. As we said, what Ajamila saw was just trivial compared to what you would see today. There's one in New Zealand, there's one 16-year-old devotee. 
His mother is also a devotee and his sister is a devotee. And it was, I was asking him, what's it like going to high school? And he told me, he just has girls coming up to him saying, uh, why don't you come over to my house tonight? Or, can we find an empty classroom right now? I said, my God, how do you, <laughs> how do you handle all that? He's in class trying to pay attention to what the teacher is saying and the, the, the young ladies have his email or Twitter or whatever, Instagram or whatever, and they're sending him messages during class. <laughs> Can we meet up? Can we find a lonely place? This is, what, this is what's going on. And it's competition. The word spreads throughout the high school that he's kind of a self-controlled guy. And so he's like the forbidden fruit. <laughs> if you can conquer him, you get a reputation. <laughs> this is how ferocious it is. Ferocious it is these days. So our parents have to be strong so that they can create a strong atmosphere for the children. So much so that even if the children rebel or go astray, later in life they'll bounce back. In any case, the duty of the parents is to do the parents is to do their best. So this section of Ajahn Mila is very sobering. Srila Prabhupada lectured on it many times, comparatively. Ajahn Mila, the instructions of Prahlad Maharaj and the prayers by Queen Kunti. Those three he, meant, he lectured on the most. Let us beg for the opportunity to take more shelter of the Hare Krishna mantra. Hare Krishna, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.